Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. It's Jeep 4x4 season. Make your next adventure epic and hurry in now for great deals. And now, well-qualified lessees get a low-mileage lease on the 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xe for $3.89 a month for 24 months with $5,399 due at signing. Tax title license extra. No security deposit required. Call 1-888-925-JEEP for details. Requires dealer contribution, a lease to Chrysler Capital. Extra charge for miles over 20000 Residency restrictions apply. Take delivery by 531-23. Jeep is a registered trademark. This is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies, with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own, and some of you reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another brand new episode of the Geek Buddies. Hey, hey, I got it right this time. Uh, <laughs> great start to the show already, fantastic. I don't know what it is about that opening theme song, but I feel like I should be riding a horse to save somebody immediately. It's such a fantastic song. I know it was meant to be like superhero stuff, but I also like the fact that so I I just like the feeling of it all is what I'm trying to say. Big shout out. Big shout out to our buddy, Daniel Ingram, who wrote it for us. Yeah. He's a Canuck, right, Mike? He's a Canuck. He is a Canuck. He's a maple leaf lover. I got to respect it. I got to respect it. Thank you for helping us down here, down in the States. It would be uh, more It would be more a Mountie running in then, right? Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Mr. Ness, I do not approve of your methods. Uh, <laughs> anyway, all right. We're getting into a lot of things today. We have a lot of fun talking about some Moon Knight news, some Tiny Toons news, some Saved by the Bell, Friends Forever and all that, and uh, some Assassin's Creed news and some uncharted news that's rolled through here and some midnight sky news with george clooney uh and then we're gonna take a little bit of a break and jump into our main topic and our main topic is gonna essentially be a q a with a combination of fans and friends sending in questions that we've got dialed up and ready to go we're gonna answer all of that uh after the break for those of you who are new thank you so much for taking a chance on the geek buddies we hope we entertain you and make you a permanent fan uh and for those who have uh returned uh, to join us again this week we've got hilarity and fun 
hijinks, shenanigans, tomfoolery, and information for you. That's for damn sure. And some damn good opinions as well. Uh, I am one of your hosts. I am the outlaw, John Roca, writer, producer, and host over here on the Outlaw Nation. I am Michael Vogel. I am a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. And this is Shannon McClung. I'm an animation writer and a television actor where you may have seen me on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Silicon Valley, and the Goldbergs. There you go. The Goldbergs. Uh, Goldbergs are uh, blowing up lately. Blowing up lately. A lot of stuff about 80s going on with the Goldbergs. Uh, that's for sure. Um, anyway, all right. Let's get into this thing. You guys ready? Ready. All right. Well, I'm super excited about this news, and that is Oscar Isaac has been tapped to lead this Moon Knight series for Disney Plus and the MCU, of course. Pretty fantastic news for me personally to hear. I'm a massive fan of Moon Knight. I can pull like seven books of Moon Knight right now off my shelf. Uh, so I was, oh, I've was, i been waiting for this character to finally become something. And I, I remember that we did a, a, an episode of the Geek Buddies, I think with Kalinowski, when this news first was announced. Uh, I think, Mike, you were on vacation or something, uh, and I, we talked about how Moon Knight was coming in, was one of those ones that was announced. We were waiting to hear some casting news. took a few months to finally get this settled, and we have it now, and it is Oscar Isaac playing Moon Knight. We're not sure which edition uh, of Moon Knight is going to play. Is it going to be Mark Spector? Is it going to be uh, Jake Lockley? Is it going to be Stephen Grant? Or is it going to play all three of them? Uh, we don't know for sure, but what we do know is Jeremy Slater, who developed and wrote the Netflix series adaptation of The Umbrella Academy, which I think we're all fans of, is going to be taken over here uh, to develop and lead the writing team on this series. For those who don't know, Moon Knight is a mercenary who has numerous alter egos, as I just mentioned, in order to better fight the criminal underworld. But later, he was established as being a conduit for the Egyptian moon god Khonshu. And most recently, the character was a consultant who dresses in all white and goes by the name Mr. Knight. So clearly, a lot of different versions of Moon Knight to adapt to the times. Uh, but it is a character that is held on. A lot of comparisons to Batman uh, with Moon Knight as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it does kind of feel exciting to have Oscar Isaac be a part of the MCU. Because as we know, Mike and Shannon, they've said these characters are going to appear possibly in the feature film. So if they appear in these MCU series, they have a very good shot of appearing as their characters in the overall feature films. So yet this is another, and yet this is another actor uh, of note and of caliber, high caliber, who they're including in the MCU. What do you guys think about this casting news and this series going forward? I, I would think everyone would be thrilled to see Oscar Isaac get a legit shot at a, at a fun Marvel character after after the 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 debacle of X Men Apocalypse. Yeah. Um, look, he, he Oscar Isaac is a fantastic actor. Whether he's playing, you know, a, a hero or a villain, I mean, he he's the guy. He's a guy that can bring a lot of complexity to his characters and to his choices. <clears throat> and you lean into the fact that you're dealing with the multiple personalities that Mark Spector has. Uh, I think we're gonna get a super, super fun performance out of Oscar Isaac. And yeah, I mean, here's hoping that he's gonna be standing next to, uh, you know, Thor and Valkyrie at some point. I think I think Oscar <laughs> Isaac is an awesome choice. I was actually kind of surprised that that he would that he he would do a Disney Plus series. It, it seemed like he was pretty, he, he, he's your feature film guy, but the fact yeah. that they got an actor of his caliber, awesome. Can't wait to see him. Yeah, what do you think, yeah. Mike? No, I mean, I think it just sort of speaks to the fact uh, that the Marvel TV series, that this is not the Defenders reboot. Uh, like, no offense right. to any of the actors who were in the Defenders, because they were all amazing, but right. there was always that sort of separation where 
they never actually would straight up say like what they called like the attack on New York City from the Avengers movie, the incident. Like there was definitely like this, we're playing in the same sandbox, but we're in our own little corner and there's a giant wall and you can't come over that wall. Mm. And just seeing the Marvel uh, characters from the cinematic universe coming into, uh, you know, Winter Soldier and uh, Falcon and into WandaVision and into Loki and then seeing actors like Oscar Isaac stepping in, it is clear that this is just a different way of telling the stories that they would tell. And I mean, we talked about it the other day, I think uh, when we were talking about the news about She-Hulk, Johnny, I think you were asking like, do you think this is like a Defenders part two as far as like, this is a team that's gonna come together. But I think more what it is is, it's taking a couple characters that uh, maybe they weren't quite sure if they could, in the cases of She-Hulk and uh, and Moon Knight, not 100% sure they could just drop them right into a big feature movie and have everybody jump on board, or they had a story that was a little bit of a longer lead that they wanted to tell, or in the case of Miss Marvel, I think it was probably Disney being like, no, we want this, like this yeah. is perfect for our brand, but I think you're just seeing these stories and these characters popping up that are going to be told in a different way, but are going to be treated with the same caliber Mm-hmm. Uh, of storytelling and special effects and quality that they would get in a feature. So I think it's really exciting. And yeah, also, can... Oscar Isaac is just ridiculously sexy. So <laughs> also a bonus for anyone who that matters to, which should yeah. be most of us, really. I mean, he it, it goes beyond sexual orientation or gender identity. It's just he's a damn sexy man. I'm not going to disagree with you. Absolutely. And Oscar Isaac has been able to play so many different characters from so many different ethnic heritages that I find this to be a fantastic next uh, feather to put in his cap. Is he going to play Mark Spector, who we've seen be, you know, a a white uh, character in the film, uh, in the, in the series rather. Uh, And of course they said Jake Lockley and Stephen Grant, the millionaire player. So is he going to play them? Because he's done. He's played white characters in the past. Certainly in Robin Hood, the Russell Crowe Robin Hood, he is playing a white character in there. So will he play him as a white character? Will he Will he have some connections uh, to some Latino origins or Hispanic origins? Or will he have any connections to Egyptian origins as well? As I mentioned here with the Egyptian moon god Khonshu, uh, they have also uh, signed up to this series, uh, Clash Helmer Mohammed Diab, uh, he has been tapped to direct this series, uh, and Diab uh, was an, he had a, a film Clash, which is uh, uh, which is a, in Egyptian. I think Eshtebak is how it is uh, titled. Was an official selection at the 2016 Cannes Film Festival in the Uncertain Regard. I can't say that without every category. Uh, he is also known for his directorial debut from Cairo 678, which was released a month before the Egyptian Revolution. And then he also wrote the blockbuster Egyptian franchise El Jazeera, which is the island, or El Gazira, which is the island. Uh, and it's among one of the highest grossing Egyptian Arabic films of all time. He also has a film coming out in 2021 called Amira. So they've got such an interesting combination of people involved in this. And I think it's going to run the gamut of, uh, of um, how can I say this, of quality for sure. And I'm excited to see what they end up coming up with. Because you know Oscar Isaac is no wallflower. He's going to have his ideas about how he wants it to go. You've got strong uh, track records with both of these other gentlemen who are going to be involved in this. So, And you couple this with what you see with Miss Marvel. And you couple it with what you hear the Tatiana Maslany situation, which I think finally got settled that she is going to play She-Hulk. This is an interesting threesome to throw into the mix. As I was mentioning in the last time we talked about, ground-based people with the ability to be out there with their talents and their powers. 
So it'll be, I wonder if this is an interesting turn they're making to not go too far out into space to keep these characters grounded, uh, but still have them, have, have the fantastical elements to them. I mean, maybe, but I mean, when you're putting them right up next to Loki, who's going to be apparently like universe hopping. Right. And uh, Wanda and Vision, who are, you know, taking over a town and remaking it in the images of all of classic TV. I don't know that they're going too grounded on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. Fair point. Well, and don't forget, like, we still have we still have Hawkeye. Like, they, they've yet yeah. to make an official True. announcement that uh, Haley, Haley Stanfeld is going to play Kate Bishop. Right. Um, but thus far, every Disney Plus series that has been announced, I mean, the wheels, the you know, the gears are turning right now. So yeah. just the idea that like you know, they just finished principal photography on uh, Shang Chi last week. I think. Right. Right. So I mean, the amount of of bullets that Marvel is going to have in the chamber, um, really, I mean, one, or, one, or one maybe the part. amount of arrows they'll have in the quiver. Yeah. Hey! <laughs> uh, I mean, as soon as WandaVision starts, I mean, it seems like we're getting a lot of Marvel right yeah. in a row. I, yeah. I think that we're about to. You know, I mean, this is something we discussed. Uh, back when Disney Plus first launched, because mm-hmm. Mandalorian launched with with Disney Plus, but aside from that, and like the Imagineering documentary and a few things, like mostly the draw of Disney Plus was here's where I can find all my favorite movies that I might already own or I have in different spaces, but they're all in one spot. I have my Pixar movies, my classic Disney, right, the Disney right. Vault is open, the whatever. But I think we're now reaching the point of exactly like we have days until we get to watch uh, the premiere of Mandalorian season two. Yeah. And then we know that we're getting WandaVision in December. Uh, I heard late November, early December. Yeah. Late November, early December. And I think Shannon's right. I think that looking at what the potential rollout of all these things is, I think we're, we're getting to the point now where we're going to start, where Disney plus will hopefully start delivering on that promise of we might not have a month go by yeah. between now and when Black Widow eventually comes out where we don't have some kind of Marvel entertainment yeah. um, on Disney+, Plus, which I think for all of us is going to be really exciting and give us plenty to talk about. Well, I got two more minutes left in the segment. I want to ask you guys real quick. Now with all these announcements coming and the series going in motion, do we think that... Oh, sorry, my Siri turned off for some random reason. Do we think that Black Widow comes closer and closer uh, to being something that will be announced as uh, streaming, or do you think as going to streaming, or do you think it'll still maintain its March uh, release at this point? Well, it's not, it's it's not March; it's May, isn't it? Oh, sorry, May. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. So, I mean, never say never. I mean, at, at this point, I, I I do think there there could be the potential of so much backlogged material that it's like at some point they they have to release it, even right. if theaters are not back to the point where they can have you know a giant crowd showing up mm-hmm. um I, I do think that's a possibility I and mean, personally I'd, I'd rather the theaters be open i'd rather see it on the big screen um but yeah at some point they they have to release it yeah yeah what do you think i, be, I think it'll be interesting I, look right now raya and the last dragon is slated to be out in theaters in march as we right. talked about last week yes um i think if if raya comes out in theaters in march then black widow is definitely coming out in theaters in may like i think that okay. and i think that not just disney I think every studio and every theater chain wants Black Widow to come out in theaters in May. Like we need right. movies like Black Widow, um, like Wonder Woman. Like we need these big movies to be out in theaters because that's the thing that people are going to leave to go see. Like they'll yeah. go do it. So 
I, I think we will. I mean, you know, I thought that Soul was never going to be on Disney Plus, and I'm wrong, but I got a nice Christmas present out of it, so cool <laughs> for me. But, uh, so, like, I still don't think so, but we will see. I also just wanted to say, uh, yeah. I am very surprised... When I read the Oscar Isaac news, my first thought was, this is great. My second thought was, God, he's attractive. And my mm. third thought was, uh, I was really surprised. It really sounded, after he, after coming off of Star Wars, that yeah, that he, he was, was done. kind of, yep. I don't want to do these big franchise, yeah. roller coaster, what the fuck is happening. I thought this was going to be cool, and I'm not having fun anymore vibes. Uh, so... Yeah. I do think the fact that he did accept this role uh, probably speaks really highly to whatever the creative is. Right, and it has a track record. Marvel and Kevin Feige have an incredible track record. So I think he thought, well, uh, I, he didn't. Obviously, he didn't burn the bridge, the bridges to Disney uh, so much so that they wouldn't ask him back. And this seems like a great project for him to kind of start out small on the Disney Plus because uh, it's going to go to TV, obviously streaming. And then eventually find his way back to feature film. So this is a way of kind of moving back into a bigger franchise situation, but just not right off the bat being thrust into this thing. So there's not as much responsibility for him to carry. But And I also liken it to this. Everyone can say, I'm not in the mood for a relationship until you meet that right person. And then all of a sudden you're in a relationship. That's how it works, I think, really. Or he really wants that new house that he talked about at the Star Wars <laughs> I doubt that. I mean, for the most part, with, with the actors in the MCU, overwhelmingly on the outside, the, the, it seems the experience has been incredi- incredibly positive. Like, you yeah. have your outliers yeah. with, like, Norton not coming back. You have Hugo Weaving not having, like, the best things to say. But it was more about the, the prosthetics and, and the role versus... Right. Versus maybe his his experience working with Marvel, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you you don't cast Oscar Isaac in something without wanting his opinion on it as well. Yeah, I would think. Do we have a line eight years from now, a scene eight years from now, where Oscar Isaac looks as a, looks at Apocalypse and has a moment where he, it looks familiar to him, and then he moves on as Moon Knight? Do you think that's no. a possibility? <laughs> no, because no one will ever, no one at Marvel will ever bring up. That version of Apocalypse again. That's that's the corner of the multiverse that will never be explored. I just want to see Moon Knight do that. And then move on. Anyway, all right, let's move on to our next thing. Uh, Michael, you got some breaking news that broke us before we started. I do. It's very, very exciting. Uh, so, you know, we were talking last week about everything old being new again and the 80s yeah. coming back. And uh, now we've got a little bit of 90s excitement, too. Uh, Warner Media, uh, uh, Warner Animation uh, and HBO Max have announced yeah. uh, a new half-hour series, a reboot of uh, Tiny Toons called Tiny Toons Luniversity. Um, so very exciting. Uh, you know, Animaniacs is actually rebooting, uh, this next month on yes. Hulu. Yeah. It's a deal that had been happening for a while, which was why, which is why it's probably not on HBO Max, but all of the Animaniacs stuff that's been coming out looks fantastic. It looks like the Animaniacs from our youth. And now we just got this news that we are getting the Tiny Tunes, Babs, Buster Bunny. I literally was like singing the song all day. So like what? Babs and Buster Bunny, Montana Max, Elmira, Hampton, Plucky, Dizzy Devil, Go-Go. Like it's great. Like they're all back. Um, the new series follows the Tiny Toons gang all the way to Acme University, the esteemed institution of higher hijinks learning, where young dreamers become professional tunes. Here they form long-lasting friendships with one another and perfect their cartoony craft while studying under the greatest cartoon characters in history, the Looney Tunes. So, sounds pretty much exactly like what we expect. Uh, you know, I'm sure it's going to be modernized, updated, but uh, this was huge. Uh, I actually did not realize 
how much more I loved Tiny Toons than, and I love Animaniacs, but I didn't realize how much more I loved Tiny Toons than Animaniacs than when we got the text message this morning that this was being rebooted, and I, like, literally my entire body started, like, vibrating. I was so excited. (laughs) So this is awesome. Super huge news. Uh, I'll take my other reboot news and put it away for a second and say, what do you guys think of Tiny Toons? I know I grew up, this was, like, maybe the pinnacle of my come home from school uh, watch cartoons TV with Tiny Toons. Where are you guys on this? Are you excited? Uh, and uh, and yeah, tell me about your Tiny Toons love or hate <laughs> or I indifference. Mean, certainly, certainly no hate. I mean, it, it Tiny Toons was on in a time where I really wasn't as involved with with animated television. That's where I kind of started to to exit and really discover girls. Um, but no, I I did not. Well, there you go. That explains it. <laughs> no girls, no girls for this guy. <laughs> but the, the the bits that I would catch on television, it always made me laugh. I mean, you know, right. I think like Animaniacs, Tiny Toons, you you get to kind of have the running commentary of things that are actually, uh, you know, things that are happening present day. Um, so I imagine that uh, uh, the the new incarnation of Tiny Toons will probably be very entertaining. So yeah, I mean. I'm for it. Babs and Buster. Yeah. I mean, why not? I mean, it's like you said, Mike, your reaction to it was one of convulsion uh, and sweating and falling on the floor yeah. in ultimate excitement. And I think that's awesome, to be honest with you, because that's the kind of reaction you want them to have. You're going to bring something like this back. And Tiny Toons is a fantastic uh, uh, series that lasted for a long I mean, it lasted for a little while and people really gravitated to it. So uh, and any maniacs is its own thing. And tiny tunes is its own thing in terms of the kind of humor and the kind of approach to this material that they had. So uh, I'm excited for it. If you're excited for it, I'm, I heard from a number of people uh, looking up on social media who are extremely excited about this. What is it about this particular uh, series that kind of like, uh, makes it unique from any other one of these, like, you know, uh, younger versions I, of these adult well, characters, adult characters. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I mean, like, if you look, if you track this all back, uh, Muppets Take Manhattan came out back in the day, and they featured a dream sequence where we got to see the Muppet Babies for the first time. Right. And everybody thought that was adorable. And then the Muppet Babies animated series followed soon after. And it was great. I mean, so great that there is now the CG reboot of it on Disney Junior that does really well. I got to buy my niece a Muppet Babies doll. I was very happy about it. But then, like, Tom and Jerry's kids, Flintstones kids, like, kid versions of every classic cartoon started coming out, and none of them were great. Mm. So when they announced that they were doing this Tiny Toons Adventures that was sort of young versions of the classic Looney Tunes characters, I think there was, like, an expectation, like that that wasn't going to be awesome. Hmm. Like, is this really going to be good? And there was like this blue bunny and this pink girl bunny. And you're like, I don't know. And it was like, like, I don't know that I want to see young versions of the Looney Tunes. Like, just give me more of Yosemite Sam and Elmer Fudd and Porky Pig. And the show came out and it was kind of so shockingly good and funny. And it managed to have the magic of classic Looney Tunes, but kind of filtered into it a whole new way. Like, mm-hmm. there were they were funny, they were weird. Uh, you know, Elmira, instead of Elmer Fudd being the hunter, you had Elmira who was just obsessed with animals and wanted to, like, love them so much that they were scared shitless of her. <laughs> um, Babs and Buster, you kind of took the best of Bugs Bunny and sort of split it into two different characters. Right. And, you know, you just they really did take on a life of their own. Um, and I think also, you know, coming off of, like, 
a lot of the Disney afternoon shows, which were kind of the best of animation and that, you know, the gummy bears and the ducktails mm. and the stuff like, uh, like that. Tiny Toons was of that quality, but in that classic zany Warner Brothers sense. So I think it just came yeah. out at that moment where it, there was low expectations, high quality reward. People really fell in love with it and it was good, you yeah. know? And then like, I think it went for three seasons and then kind of Animaniacs came out soon after and kind of like filled that itch. So the yeah. fact that we're getting both of these shows back, uh, within a year or so of each other like i think it's they're both they're both good and they both deserve to be back on tv like these are characters that i'm very excited to see again yeah and speaking of characters that i am excited to see again uh the first full trailer for the saved by the bell reboot or new (laughs) series uh came out um and i'm i will say this i'll say yes yes the first, when I first read the news of the Saved by the Bell trailer, I was like, ugh, really? And the very first sort of teaser trailer that came out, I was like, ugh, I don't know about this. But this new trailer, I will say, kind of won me over a little bit. Not because of the nostalgia of the characters that are coming back, because I feel like, I don't know how they're going to be. But the new characters and kind of showing a new kind of take on Bayside and uh, and the world of Saved by the Bell. So... This true. Uh, here's the storyline. Uh, Governor Zach Morris, of course, closes <laughs> closes a number closes a number of underfunded high schools, leaving its students to be absorbed by those in more affluent areas, namely Bayside High. Uh, his son Mac and Jesse's son Jamie attend Bayside, as does the rich and popular Lexi. While Slater is working there as the gym teacher, uh, Slater's particularly psyched for these new kids. Uh, to arrive because he can share his story of entering those halls as a new kid and finally finding a place where he belonged. Uh, so what I will say is watching this trailer, it <laughs> definitely like had elements that I was not expecting. It had a bunch of kids okay. from lower income schools coming into this upper kind of predominantly white high school and kind of being like, you're a bunch of white privileged assholes uh, which really Zach Morris and his friends kind of were when we watched it, as much as I love Saved by the Bell. And so the, it looked like, like, I will say I was less interested in seeing all of the old characters that I loved in Saved by the Bell and was more interested in some of these new characters that were coming in. And it'll be interesting to see. But so not as excited as I was about Tiny Toons, but this trailer made me more cautiously kind of go, ah, I'll check it out. Yeah, yeah I thought I thought the comedy in the trailer was definitely uh, a bit smarter than than what classic Save by the Bell is known for. <laughs> it'll it'll be one of those shows that you know I'll I'll pop it on for an episode and we'll we'll see if it hooks me. But uh, yeah, I mean the fact that they got the majority of the main cast back and they all yeah. are kind of making fun of themselves a bit. Like I I, I like I like a show that has a sense of humor about itself. So mm. this will definitely warrant at least one episode. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm excited for it. Um but I you know I have a couple of things and I want to put it out there. First let me say the positive stuff. I th- I thought the trailer was really good. I think it's very clear that we're not going to see Tiffany Amber Thiessen that much in this show. She was barely in that trailer. So that lets you know how much she's actually going to be involved and fair play to her. She, you could argue her and Mark Paul Gossler have been the most successful consistently since the show being part of numerous series. And of course, Tiffany Amber Thiessen, the full-time mom as well, as well as doing some of the acting stuff herself. Gossler had gone on to a number of series. He's doing his thing, but he is the central part of this thing. It seems like Jesse is going to, I'm not saying, I'm sorry. It seems like Jesse and, uh, and uh, Slater are going yeah. to be the more I- central returning characters 
being a part of this thing. And that's okay. I like AC becoming a gym, a gym coach. That makes so much sense in my mind. Uh, and I like that uh, we get a place for Jesse to come back and give back. She's going to be the principal. So how is she going to shape things? She always wanted to be in control of things. She always wanted to do what's best for everybody. So how is she going to make that happen in this situation? I do have a little bit of grievance that when you say, um, you know, under underperforming schools or whatever, or schools from inner city, it's immediately people of color. There are plenty of white people in these crappy ass schools as well. So I just didn't like that they defaulted to that. But I get it. It's the easier way of kind of talking about integration. And we point the finger at white people and blah, blah, blah. And you imagine that they're going to find commonality and going to find a way to come together. And it'll be a positive message overall. I just don't want them to constantly. I just want them. I don't want them to stereotype that when you say inner city school or underprivileged school, you immediately think, oh, it means uh, poor people of color. Uh, It's got to be. I I would like to see a little more of a fleshed out, nuanced approach to it. It is not untrue uh, when you look at systemic racism in the public education system that schools that are in uh, areas that are predominantly people of color often are underfunded uh, yes, they and, are. And, and, and more uh, middle class to upper class white neighborhoods and schools that are in those areas tend to be uh, uh-huh. more well off. So. Right. I think that when but this you are- constant, this stereotype concept that it's only just people of color in these schools, that's where I have issues. And you got well, there are, it's there not are only- white people in those schools as well. So there are, there are, but there's actually uh, NPR just had a great multi-part series called uh, "Nice White Parents" or "Nice White People." I forget what it was about, but it yeah. kind of tracked a school system uh, in New York City um, mm-hmm. uh, that was a predominantly predominantly people of color. Um, and right. the white parents that came in when these white parents were trying to, tur- to turn uh, the school into a magnet program and how the white parents coming in and dealing with all these uh, black parents, Latino parents, everything else, like it didn't, spoiler alert if you want to listen to this podcast, it's really great. <laughs> it didn't go great for them. Yeah. Um, and so look, I think that, I understand what you're saying. I think the key to this, and I don't disagree with what you're saying. I think what's going to be mm. interesting is like the stereotype comes in. If you have a bunch of people of color from underfunded schools that got closed down coming into Bayside High and yeah. they are dumb or, the, you know, if they, there's, there's a lot of stereotypes that you could play that would be horrible. If these right. kids come in and they just came from schools that didn't have the funding of Bayside and Bayside has a bunch of rich white parents giving a bunch of money to Bayside and they're like, yeah. this is crazy, but they are actual, it seems like they are going to be the more interesting characters in the leads of the show. Yeah, so it's I think very they clear. Will be, yeah. They will be painted in a very positive light. Yeah, and I do think saying absolutely. that schools where that are predominantly people of color are underfunded in America is actually kind of true and something we should uh, look at and fix. You don't have to tell me. I know that I've been saying that for years. So I'm absolutely down to see this. I just want to see a little more nuance. I want to see people of color who are rich and just as spoiled or privileged as well, combating with people who are not from a different area of town, just as I want to see white kids from a different area of town who are, who are a part of these underfunded schools going up against white kids who are part of privileged schools. There's nuance within the ethnicities of race to play with here that could be fun. I don't know if they'll explore it. It is saved by the bell, so I don't want to look too deep into this, but I think there is an opportunity Listen, to explore that a little bit more and find they, humor. They, they had a very special episode where Jesse was on caffeine pills. I mean, they deal with the big issues. <laughs> I think that they wasn't deal in the trailer, with... I think they... <laughs> They in the teaser. I, in the teaser. I, I think it was in the teaser. Yeah. The teaser, right? <laughs> so that was one of the. That was where. I, that was one where I was like, oh, okay, is that what this is going to be? And then this new right. trailer, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, you're cool. With it. But do we think we'll see a Leah Remini? Are we having a summer season where Leah Remini shows up running oh, that man. club? Now that would be awesome if she's running that summer club. I'd be down with that. But yeah, I'm excited. But it's like for secretly, it. but it's secretly like a, a cult. And anyway. <laughs> 
<laughs> Anyways. You said cult. I didn't. Uh, all right. Let's move on to our uh, next uh, thing. But uh, uh, Shannon. Yes, we got some big video game announcements. First Woo! off, two, two things to talk about here. First, let's talk about the Uncharted movie. Last week, uh, Tom Holland took to Instagram to show us the first look of him as a young Nate Drake. And yeah. I got to say, I, the casting, the concept of making it a young Nate Drake, I'm still not totally sold on. But man, he looks he looks awesome, and he's 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 got he's got the the gun holsters. He's got the cargo pants. It looks like he's on the deck of like a blown out pirate ship or something. Looks awesome. And then <laughs> a few days later, because uh, as if our if our listeners have been following Uncharted, they know yeah. that there were some behind the scenes uh, shots or or some filming shots that got on the internet back in September, and they showed Tom Holland and uh, Mark Wahlberg, who's playing his uh, mentor. Sully, uh, Victor Sullivan, um, we see them walking in and they're both kind of in suits or tuxes, but uh, no mustache on Mark Wahlberg. And this should yeah. not be a big thing. But for fans of that game, it's like Sully has to have a mustache. So a few days later, after Tom Holland's uh, picture was posted, Mark Wahlberg had a video where he's clearly in a makeup trailer and he has about the worst mustache on <laughs> that, that I've ever seen. And it's clear it's clearly been spirit gummed on and yeah. not necessarily the quality of the mustache, but just Mark Wahlberg in a mustache. He, yeah, he, he doesn't look he looks like a young Stalin to me more than <laughs> more than Yikes. <laughs> Sullivan. <laughs> but the fact that I mean, it's it's a it's a video where he kind of is is kind of taking the piss out of himself. Mm. That made me laugh. So, gentlemen, thus far, what are your first impressions of our first looks of uh, Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg in Uncharted? Johnny, oh, uh, I love it. I think it's great. I like I like you. I, I you know, for as much as people make fun of Wahlberg, Wahlberg can make fun of himself. He gets he's can be in on the joke. He tried to be in on the joke on SNL, didn't quite go as well, but he is. <laughs> good at being in on the joke when you see him in interviews and you see him in conversations with people so i like the fact that he's willing to play around with the mustache i think it's good attitude to have about it but tom holland looks good clearly been hitting the gym and look he's a wayfish guy so the fact you're not going to get massive muscles off tom holland you put him in a gym for a year but he looks good for what he's doing and remember he's still got to do spider-man so the transition can't be too much uh so i i like that he looks good i like that he looks strong he looks possessed and remember this is still a young actor coming into his own uh coming into his voice you know and so i'm excited to see what they can do with it and this could possibly finally be uh one of the best video game movies we've ever got uh and uh we're hoping so because there's a lot of expectations on uncharted a lot of people love that game including the two gentlemen sitting here with me so i i know it's something that's a, a people are looking at like this and hoping it uh, goes okay, but we shall see. But so far from the pictures, I, I like it. And I like that they had uh, what's his face on set, uh, no Nolan North on set on as well. That's a, a really great respect and nod to the game. So I enjoyed seeing that. Yeah, Nolan North is the voice of Nate Drake for the for all four of the main Uncharted games. Yes, he is. Yeah, look, I mean, I think Tom Holland looked great. I think Tom Holland's a great actor. Like, I think mm -hmm. that Tom Holland is quickly. Uh, as long as he doesn't have some kind of Lindsay Lohan level meltdown at some point and become like a crazy person, uh, he's he's on tr or more specifically like a Shia LaBeouf, uh, you know, like Shia LaBeouf was sort of on track to be that next big thing in Hollywood, and then he he LaBeoufed it. Uh, but uh, but Tom Holland, I mean, 
coming in as Peter Parker, playing Spider-Man, taking some of the other roles he's taken, uh, and then doing this, it's like, if this comes out and it's great and he nails it, like, he is the next big Hollywood action star. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. He's 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 on track and he's he's funny, he's charming, uh he's really really good looking. Like that like this is just like this is uncharted could be huge for him. Yeah. 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 Well, what do you, uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh all right, what else have we got, Shin? So, just came out that uh Netflix is developing the live action series of Assassin's Creed and at the same time they're also looking at developing animated and anime properties. So, For all of our listeners who I'm sure know this already, Assassin's Creed is a series of games that takes players back. Uh, You you start in the modern day typically as this character Desmond Miles, at least for the first three games, and you hop into this thing called the Animus where he gets to relive his ancestors' memories. Mm. So the coolest thing about this game is when you go back into the past. Like, at least for me, whenever I have to kind of run around as Desmond in the present, it's not that fun. Mm. So... I think it was in 2016 that they did the Assassin's Creed uh, feature with Michael Fassbender. And that that film was high on style and very low on substance. Yeah, it was Um, a bad film, man. Yeah, it was it wasn't good. Like I like I like what they tried to do, especially when they were in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, I I believe when they were because they they were in Spain, I think, and, and all of the dialogue was in Spanish. And I was like, oh, that's that's awesome that they did that. But then the the modern day was so much more um, vital to the story that I was like, ah, I don't really care about this. And they change. And, 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 and again, video games, video game adaptations, you, you have to change stuff for the movie. But what right. they did with the animus, they put him in this sort of gimbal mechanical arm and he's doing, I'm like, that's not, why would he, that doesn't make any sense. Like if you've seen <laughs> the memories, um, but you know, the movie did not do well. And then it, I think it was in 2017, Netflix first announced that they were, that they were in negotiations with uh, Ubisoft, who is the, uh, the, the video game company to do this, to do uh, a project based on the Assassin's Creed property. So the fact that they have now officially said, like they don't have a showrunner yet, but they have officially said, we are going to do a live action Assassin's Creed series. I'm very curious how this is going to go because the possibilities are there for this to be epic storytelling, but there's a lot of possible possible uh, uh, pitfalls that they get hit along the way. But gentlemen, what do you think, Mike? I'm I'm actually I'm, I'm excited for it. I think Netflix has earned the right for us to just be excited about anything that they take on to do. Uh, I'm more uh, interested in the fact that they announced they were doing a live action series, animated anime that they're that kind of across the board because mm. Assassin's Creed is one of those brands that it's it's expansive. It's a big world. There's tons to do. There's tons to play with. And if they can take this brand and sort of build it out on an entertainment, like it's not like they're going to try and do a series and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, Oh, it was a fail. Like it's not like the feature method. They are clearly doubling down on this and giving us a world of Assassin's Creed content to sort of absorb. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if they do it right, Assassin's Creed could become just a mega brand. You know, I mean, kind of what we're talking about with Uncharted uh, that we all we wanted to see that video game feature movie that really lives up to the hype of what a video game is. Uh, and I do hope that Uncharted is that. And I, like I said, I hope it would, it would be great for Tom Holland's career. It would be great for video game fans of Uncharted. Um, but maybe this way that Netflix is doing it, uh, kind of giving us a world to uh, 
not an open world like a video game, but like an expansive world between all yep. the different forms of content to explore may be ultimately the better way to take video game content and translate it into uh, entertainment. Yeah, I 1 million percent agree with that. I, I think that's what it's all about. I think it's it's such an expansive world that to try to con, you know condense it into two hours, I think was a mistake from the beginning. And certainly that film did not come out and, and wow anybody. Uh, so you come into this situation being a series, this could be the template, as Mike said, a template that other video game companies look at and go, okay, if this becomes successful on Netflix, then we start to see another avenue that they can explore, especially with, as we see theaters probably dying or possibly dying and as we see these companies like disney start to streamline and focus on stream or start to rejigger things and start to focus on streaming uh then the possibility becomes even more uh, uh apparent or uh, uh, real that you can see these video game adaptations go to series on streaming platforms like netflix or amazon prime or hulu or what have you and have quality people behind them to bring them to life and get to expand the world out and bring in uh, certain characters and do winks and nods to the people who are massive fans of these games and have an ability for actors to dive in because they'll get eight episodes or 10 episodes to really flesh out these classic characters and live uh, in these worlds, uh, um, I don't know, more extensively. And I think that is a positive overall, in my opinion. And this is this excites me more than the movie ever did. The idea of a TV series about this excites me because I'm I'm not an avid player of the game, so just yeah. But I know those games can be quite interesting and expansive, so it'd be fun to dive into that uh, through a, the, with a little more time, a little more episodes to do so. I mean, uh, I don't know if you guys saw the Great. Like the Great was fantastic on Hulu. That's the kind of approach you can have with this, and the kind of talent that can be involved yeah. in. It. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I thought the film did do right is they did not pick out a character from the existing from the existing video mm. games. They they acknowledged those characters' right. existence very loosely, but they had they created their own original story. And I hope yeah. I hope that's what the series will do as well. Yeah, we shall see. Uh, all right, well, that's our geek news items for the first part of the show. I'm going to take a quick break. Uh, for those who are listening to us on the podcast feed, uh, you'll hear our sponsors. Uh, for those of you uh, just watching us on YouTube, we're going to take a quick five-second break and be back with a Q&A uh, from our uh, viewers here and listeners here on the Geek Buddies. We'll be right back. Um, <laughs> all right. We're going to get into some questions here of a special segment of Q, uh, a special Q&A segment here on the show. Uh, we were all kicking around the possibility of a main topic. Nothing really kind of jumped out at us. It's kind of been a slow week. Uh, so I can't remember who suggested doing a Q&A, but uh, we thought it'd be kind of smart to kind of ask fans to send in questions and our viewers to send in questions. So we got a bunch of them to answer here real quick for you all. And maybe some of them will be, or maybe one of them will be something that you've thought about asking before in the past. And this could be something that for the three of us may become a regular thing. We do every once in a while to do a Q and a, uh, and get some questions from you all uh, as fans of the show. Are you guys ready? Let's do it. Ready? Right. Let's do it. Q and a lay it on us. I'm ready. I'm excited. <laughs> Let's start with Cam Chapman. And we're each going to take one and go around the horn, so to speak. Uh, Cam Chapman sent one. He tweeted us. He goes, hey, guys, my question is, with all of the madness and sadness going on in the world in the moment, what is the best or most positive thing to happen during this COVID period to each of you? Thank you. Cheers, Cam Chapman. Yeah. Uh, Mike Shannon, what's the most positive thing that happened to you during this COVID period so far? We're still in it, so to speak. Mm. the covid period <laughs> all right fine should i go first 
Why don't you, you yeah, have one? You, All right, fine. You have one. Do you have one, Mikey, or no? Do you have one? No, no, no. I want you okay, to go. Okay. I want you to go. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm uh, right. marinating on <laughs> pandemics. Uh, I would say the most positive thing uh, was the the ability to uh, kind of figure out what I want to do with this channel and what and and see that there were uh, uh, things happening and have the ability to bring in people who could be part of the channel uh, more and more and be able to grow it out and grow its its reach and its expansive ability because people are home. People are working from home. People are available. So seeing that uh, has been one of the positives as well. And the fact that we were lucky to keep going uh, like the, I had already been set up with this stuff since January. So when the COVID situation hit, I didn't miss a beat and it was very grateful that I was lucky enough to be in a position where I could keep going, doing what I was doing and having established myself and then getting the chance to talk to fans and, and uh, people involved in this world and getting more interactive with them. I thought that's one of the incredible positive because they're home working or they've sadly, you know, lost their jobs during the COVID situation. They've reached out to be a part of the outlaw nation and have sent me messages and also come on to some of the streams to talk to us live or talk to me on other shows live or be part of the Patreon and be in the in the Discord to talk about their situations and how watching our content has kind of taken their minds off the things that they're doing. So I think that's been a positive situation and having the chance to move down to San Diego. We have been enjoying the hell out of it over the last three weeks. So uh, I think that's one of the positives as well, gentlemen. Um, I I will try I will I will try to truncate this to two quick ones. Um, mm. Especially right when everything shut down, um, you got to see sort of just the 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 human kindness that is in everyone like mm -hmm. you you know you you saw these empty shelves at grocery stores you saw the the looks of uncertainty on people's faces of like oh my god what what is this as a as a species at least in the in the US we've never experienced anything like this yeah. before yeah. and you you absolutely saw some some negative sides you saw some people uh who, who who were not so nice, but then I feel like the overwhelming feeling was um, positivity and the hey we're we're all in this together we're get we and we will get through this together. I mean the amount mm -hmm. of grocery store managers and um, you know essential workers, yeah. you know people people that work the cashier at Target, uh, the uh, the cash register, um, seeing just that that moment of connection and how much a, a thank you and speaking to people kindly, how, how much that can affect someone's day. Yeah. And, you know, we, it, it has obviously tapered off in the last few months because people are, people want to get back to normal if there is a normal to get back to. Right. But, you know, you, you, you see those moments happen in, in history. Like you definitely saw it after nine 11. Like there, there was, there was about a year where you would see someone else and there would be that, again, that moment of connection of, Hey, you good you okay is like do you need to talk um right. on a work side this uh i don't know if this isn't necessarily related to covid but um a friend of ours reached out to me for uh a little bit of writing work to come up oh. with a premise for uh for an animated series and That's it's awesome. something that i've never done before i was i was petrified uh because anytime something new presents itself i'm scared um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I actually, I had a conversation with Mr. Vogel and he was very supportive and, and helped and definitely helped me out with some stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, being able to not being able to audition and not being able to work at, uh, at universal like that, that definitely can take a toll on you. Yeah. So finding a, a creative outlet, um, 
during all this was was so needed and appreciated. And uh, our geek buddy, Mike Ross, I can't thank him enough for giving me the opportunity. Well, there you go. All right, uh, Mike. I remember a dark night in March. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> when the news came in, we were shutting down. Oh, boy. Oh, and I boy. thought. <laughs> um, no, I think, uh, you know, agreeing with what both of you guys said, uh, and to, to Johnny's point, I mean, one of, one of my favorite things is looking at uh, our Twitter or our mm-hmm. YouTube uh, comments and everything and seeing you guys who do tell us that, uh, you know, spending this hour or so with us every week is something that you guys look forward to. It kind of makes you laugh. It kind of like, you know, makes you forget all the crazy in the world. And so that, that means a lot to me and I super love it. And I think that, uh, thank you guys for sharing that with us because that's one of the reasons why we do it. I mean, we get to see each other once a week, uh, doing this and the more conversations that we have with you, whether that's on the YouTube channel, on Twitter, or however we have those, uh, conversations, like it's great. I I love that we've kind of created this little community where we can, uh, have these geeky conversations and all kind of be on the same page and laugh about the stupid shit that Shannon says, or the stupid shit that John says, or the really smart stuff that I say, like whatever you think is funny, like we can like laugh about those things. Um, and then also, um, Kind of like off what Shannon said a little bit, but I think for me personally, one of the things that I've found really interesting, and this is not to take away from the fact that this year has been a huge struggle for yeah. so many people in so many different ways, whether it's whether it's getting COVID, having family members that have gotten COVID or have struggled with medical conditions related to COVID or mm-hmm. losing your job or not knowing what's going to happen or being furloughed or being uncertain. Like there's, there's a lot of bad in this year. So like that a given. But one of the things that I think is interesting, and I said this really uh, kind of early on to some friends, which is you, you kind of don't realize until it stops that we all kind of live on a hamster wheel yeah. as adults. You kind of get into this rhythm of I got to pay my rent. I got to pay my bills. I got to buy food. So I got to keep working and you got to work to do the thing, but you do the thing and then you go to work and you just kind of find yourself on these wheels and you don't really know how to get off. Sometimes you don't know how to make a big change because you can't take the time to make a change because you don't have the money to change or, or what, for whatever reason. And that what happened in 2020 was the entire world like took a pause. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just stopped. And so that kind of allowed everybody uh, despite the struggles and the financial concerns and everything else, it kind of allowed everybody to take a beat and kind of re-examine your life. And that's a yep. thing that most people in their lives don't get an opportunity to do, even yep. if it's kind of a shitty opportunity in some ways. Uh, and you saw so many things happen because of that. You saw people change careers. You saw people like John and Lindley move down to San Diego. We had other friends that up and moved to Atlanta. You have people that are yeah. changing careers. You have people that are getting into relationships. You have people that are getting out of bad relationships. You have people that are just sort of reexamining their priorities. And I've even found myself sort of focusing on different things or even in little ways, like you, you sort of realize the friends that you tend to reach out to and talk to most often when you don't happen to see them once a week because of work or something else. Um, uh, Johnny just left. He just up and left the chat and his life. Okay. okay. It's just and me and you, Mike. We lost John Roca. This is the way we always wanted geek buddies to be. That's right, buddy. It's just me and Shannon. The geek, the geek duo. Uh, well, we'll see if he comes back. I don't know if we're going to get more Johnny, but uh, I will do the next question, and hopefully he will come back at some point, and this thing won't just collapse without the outlaw. Uh, 
Here is one um, from our good friend uh, and geek buddy, Jonathan Blue. Shannon, you ready for this? Yes, I am. Uh, it's sort of a, it's sort of a double. Oh, what the crap. there it is. <laughs> what the crap? God. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm really sorry. Thing. We just announced to all of our fans that the new show is called The Geek Duo. Uh, <laughs> you are, you're off. I'm sorry. I hate to break <laughs> oh, it. Oh, son of a gun. These are some, these are some of the big 2020 changes that I was talking about. <laughs> you're, uh, you're out. You're out, oh, Johnny. Oh, okay. All right. But, I mean, maybe depending on how you answer this next question, we might let you back in. All right. Sounds good. Uh, okay. Our, our, our geek buddy, Jonathan Blue, uh, uh-huh. said, here's one in uh, Mandalorian territory, given that Mandalorian is coming out this week, season two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as we, It's a double question. As we've seen his face already, do you think we'll keep getting exceptions in season two that we see his face more often? Or will he keep the mask on the way a Mandalorian is supposed to? And uh, do you think we'll be seeing real-world parallels in Mandalorian Season 2 uh, as far as politics and social messaging, such as Ooh. misinformation from the Empire, racism, uh, galactic Proud Boys, authorit- authoritarian leaders, etc.? So Mandalorian masks wow. and political messaging in, uh, in Season 2. What do you guys think? Oh, uh, yes, I think it's absolutely possible. Uh, I wouldn't put it past them to make allusions to things. And look, I mean, it was the Nazis who influenced the Empire for Lucas in the original Star Wars. So why wouldn't you have some kind of uh, connection to things that are going on in the world nowadays? So I wouldn't be surprised to see some kind of form of it. Uh, I don't know about the mask taken off. I think it'll be interesting to hear or to watch how that plays out because there were those terrible rumors that uh, you know Pedro Pascal stormed off the set because supposedly he couldn't take off his mask more in season two. I don't think I don't believe any of that crap, by the way. But I I think it's it's uh, it'll be interesting because you've got the rumors of Sabine. You've got the rumors of Bo- uh, uh, Bo-Katan. They take their helmets off, no problem, all the time. And they're both Mandalorians. They're from a different section of Mandalore. They're from a different faith or approach to being a Mandalorian than than the Mandalorian himself. Well, so, yeah. We, we don't actually know that. Like, like we just because, like, none of the Mandalorians, as far as Clone Wars go, yeah. uh, and Rebels take off their masks. I mean, none of them don't take off their masks. Like, right? Keep That's their, what I'm they, like they, they take their masks off all the time. So That's what I'm getting. Where, at. So, so, so wherever, so wherever this uh, this idea that Mandalorians don't take their masks off, like that right. happens somewhere in between. So maybe they are that way. Like we don't know. There's a oh, lot that we're going to find out. Saying. Well, so what you're saying is like, because I mean, the rumors are we're going to get Bo-Katan uh, and Sabine possibly in this second season. So. Right. What I'm saying is there is a gap in knowledge. And because Dave uh-huh. Filoni did Clone Wars and did Mandalorian, this right. isn't like something they overlooked. Like, no, I know in, our, in our understanding of Mandalorians thus far, aside from yeah. the show, Mandalorians take their helmets off all the time. I've seen them do it a thousand times. Like right. They have their help. Like, it's fine. So I, I think that I think that by seeing them, we may fill in the gaps of. You're saying it's a different sect of Mandalorians. I don't no, know that I'm that's saying, necessarily true. Like Jewish I think faith. That, there's Orthodox Jews and sure. there are other uh, uh, Jews that but, don't practice as Orthodoxes. But, as they but, and that, what I'm saying is it could be that, but it right. could just as equally be 
once the Empire purged Mandalore, that's when this idea that Mandalorians don't take off their masks come from. It might not be different sex. This might be a change in Mandalorian culture. Blue was asking were my opinion, and that's my opinion. I think I think that's where we're going to see what might happen. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, And also, Pedro Pascal did say, I think it was in episode eight, that uh, Mandalorian is not a race. It's a a creed, and we know for a fact because of the Clone Wars anime series, it is a race. So yes, there definitely is something that has happened. That right. we have not seen yet. There's information that we have not that we have not been given yet from from right. storytellers. Right. Um, right. In terms of him taking his helmet off, I think absolutely, <laughs> like he is going to continue to take that helmet off. You think so? Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because right. I think I, I feel like his ultimate arc is he's he is going to break out of this Mandalorian creed and become his own become his own man. Wow. That's, you think that's what's going to happen to the Mandalorian? I think ultimately, yeah. Interesting. Because, okay. But also, I you know a, a friend of mine who works in casting. I because a lot of uh, season one, it's fine. It's all fine. right. I'm not going to say, right. like say anything secret. Right. Um, uh, uh, season one, you know, Pascal was not necessarily under the helmet the whole time. Like they showed they showed him recording recording some ADR, and he was talking with the guys who were in the suit, being like, "Hey, what what were you thinking here? What were you mm-hmm. thinking there?" Um, to kind of get some motivation for how he's going to deliver those lines. Right. Now, a, a friend of mine who does work in casting. Uh, one of their series were interested in Pedro Pascal and he was very unavailable because of Mandalorian. So either oh. he is under the helmet a lot more or he's taking the helmet off. Yeah, that's, that's, that's my guess. And in okay. terms of like the uh, political, the political uh, uh, part of the question, uh, I think Moff Gideon is absolutely an authoritarian mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that within this sort of vacuum of power that you have the new Republic. That's a little, that's a little shaky. I think absolutely. You will see, you will see some parallels to what's to what's going on today. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. I also think it's funny. Uh, I think it's funny whenever anybody brings up, do you think star Wars will get political? Because to your point, <laughs> I like, like there's no way to do the empire yeah. and not have them be authoritarian. And so Anything that they do in Mandalorian that shows the Empire being authoritarian or carving up the environment of a planet or doing any of the things that the Empire does, you will have a subsection of Twitter be like, oh, now Star Wars has turned into a bunch of SJWs and everything is political and they're trying to make all these political points. And you're like, yeah, like George Lucas did when he made the movies, Uh, you know. Yeah. Especially given that everything that happened in the prequels, as much as we make fun of the prequels, has basically happened in America in the past couple of years. So he's pretty on the money. Um, so yeah. Uh, all right, yeah. Shannon, you got the next all one? Right. This is good. Yeah, I, like, yeah. I like Q&A day. Yeah, next yeah. question. This is uh, from Twitter from Bruce Aaron Cam- Cambosis. Yeah. Um, his question is, what characters or storylines that have not been given the spotlight would you love to see? For him, the Legion of Superheroes Darkness Saga as a limited animated series or the Creeper as a live action series. Fellas? Ooh, Ooh. Creeper's a good call. I like that a lot. <sighs> Etrigan. I think Etrigan is my choice. I-, I like the character of Etrigan. I like what they, you know, we've seen him occasionally in animated stuff and whatever, but I think it would be the time, especially on the heels to, of that terrible Hellboy film, the most recent one. Maybe kind of wash out the meaning or the feeling of that film or wash it out of your brain. And a character like Etrogan, which speaks in rhyme and is old school and has all this. It would be fascinating to see if you could do that as a series. Like what would be that'd be an incredible challenge because you don't normally think of him as the lead of a series or a character like this could be the lead of the series. 
but it could be something to explore here. There have been uh, storylines with him where you've gotten more from Etrigan than in the past. So I'd like to see something like that. I've always loved him as a character. What about you two? Mikey? Well, it's funny because uh, usually my go-to answer here would be the Sandman. Uh, But we have this amazing 10-hour Sandman on Audible. We have a Sandman series on Netflix in the works. And so I can't use that answer anymore. Uh, you know, I, I like that, uh, like you used, uh, that Bruce used character and storyline. So from a storyline standpoint, um, there is a, and I don't know, this doesn't fit into what DC is doing in any way, shape or form. Um, but one of my favorite arcs that has never really been, uh, captured, it was, it would just happen to be coming out in the comics right when I moved to LA. So I was very fond of it because I had... No one else was out here yet. I was on my own. I had nothing else to do. TV wasn't set up, and I just had these comics. But it was this Emperor Joker art, uh, or arc where uh, mm. where the Joker got Mister Mixelplick's abilities and wow. remade the entire universe in his own image. And so all the characters were super fucked up. And the way that he tortured Superman was kind of letting Superman escape every night and try and make things right in a world where it was literally impossible for him to do. But ultimately, it is a Superman story. Uh, Ed McGinnis did some amazing artwork for it. And it's ultimately about how Superman ends up fixing literally the entire universe. I mean, it is fucking batshit cuckoo crazy for Cocoa Puffs uh, because it's the (laughs) Joker's universe. Um, and so it's really, really cool. Uh, it's really interesting. It's a fascinating read if you check it out. Uh, but yeah, that's like an arc that I don't know where it would fit. I mean, it would have to be maybe for right now something where DC did it as a one of their animated movies uh, and adapted it. But like to see something like that on the big screen, I mean, you know, you'd have to figure out your Justice League and decide yeah. if Jared Leto was your Joker or not, and then introduce Mr. Mixelplick. And so maybe this is something we'll see in like twenty years. But uh, but it was it's a really good. One. And then as far as characters go. Uh, I would really just love to see Booster Gold. Uh, I, I really like, mm. I, I feel like um, in the era of social influencers and Instagram and YouTube celebrities that we have, I really feel like Booster Gold as a superhero oh, yeah. would fit into our universe right now. And I think you'd have, I, I, I think maybe him leading into almost a Justice League International kind of vibe with all of those characters like Blue Beetle and everybody oh. else. Uh, could be a lot of fun. So Booster Gold would be my vote for character and uh, yeah, Emperor Joker for uh, storyline. Yeah, he'd be great. So for character, I literally was going to say I would love to see a short series, like a three or four minute short series of Blue and Gold, of Booster Gold and Blue Beetle. <laughs> I think that would be incredibly funny. I And, and I never thought that Vogel was going to say Booster Gold. Yeah. Um, In terms of storyline, I will always go to volume one of The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Whether or not it be a feature or a streaming series, I would love to see a face. Another. You got it. You got it. It exists. You don't get to use it. It exists. It's out there. It really doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's it's on Amazon Prime right now. And like I, I think I was going to watch the, the Borat 2, and I saw the poster and the, the, the LXG, and I'm like, God. I mean, I have that poster. Yeah. It is it is over there in my closet right now, rolled up in a tube, because <laughs> I loved the imagery so much. But I, I would love to see a, a faithful adaptation of that story with Mina as the lead, where... Alan Quartermain is just a shell of himself yeah. um, where Nemo is just a, a he's a he's a 
gunpowder keg just waiting to go off and a drugged up Dr. Jekyll. Like, I think <laughs> I think that would just be the best thing in the world to see. A thousand percent agreed. It, 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 that's, it's one that would actually do better as a, as a limited Netflix or streaming series than it would, or I guess HBO Max or whatever, but it would be like, uh, it would be better as like a streaming series than a movie, I think. I think they could really dive in more to like the individual characters and stuff, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I gotta go in the next five minutes, so I think we got one more to do and then we'll get on out of here. Uh, uh, okay, this is from uh, our viewer, Gabay, Jonathan Gabay. He says, okay, Harry Potter question. Do you think the eighth book will ever get made as a movie given all the J.K. Rowling stuff but looking years down the line when the cast is ready and old enough thought they could probably be old enough now? What do you guys think? Um, he's, he's talking about the play, right? Cursed yeah, Child? Cursed Child. Um, I mean, having not read it, I can't say for sure, but I would think pre- her sort of social social media uh, 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 confrontations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think absolutely. I think they were. I think they were biding their time. Now, again, I haven't read the play, so I don't know if that story is is a mm -hmm. is a movie story. But in terms of just being able to milk the brand, I think absolutely Warner Brothers would have done it. Okay. I think maybe. This will work out. There, you know, there's a lot of rumors. I think we even reported on rumors that they that that Warner Brothers felt that the cast was old enough to play the age that they would have to be for this eighth book because it takes place, you know, in the future. Right. They're all working in various places in the uh, Wizarding World, and they have kids that are going to Hogwarts. Uh, I think that maybe this J.K. Rowling thing will work towards Cursed Child's advantage. Ultimately, mm -hmm. I think that given her views and how a lot of fans feel about her uh, and feel about the brand in general, this is probably a brand that's going to have to, at some point in time, rest for a bit. Yeah. I think we're going to have to take a little, a little, a uh, little wizarding break. Um, but I think that it's still a world, you know, these books aren't going anywhere. It's one of the most popular was one of the most popular pieces of children's literature, if not literature period, Right. that is out there and that has happened in our lifetimes. And I think that they, the story is still a good story. And I think that maybe taking a break on Harry Potter for a bit uh, and letting J.K. Rowling go away and review her views on the world, uh, this in a few years when the actors, when Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson and uh, Rupert Grint and the others actually are at the age where they could play these roles, mm -hmm. it might be a great way to sort of kick off a new era. It could Cursed Child could very easily be the Force Awakens of the Harry Potter universe mm. if you give it some time. And so maybe that's what needs to happen. I mean, maybe I, I know that lots of people were chomping for the bit, uh, chomping at the bit for, for a Cursed Child movie, and like, let's see, let's give them a little age makeup, let's make them look a little older, let's do this right now. Yeah. But actually, this might be a great opportunity to sort of maybe let Fantastic Beasts die, mm. give it some space. And a few years from now, uh, when everyone's ready to uh, move on and J.K. Rowling has maybe worked some shit out for herself, uh, this would be a great way to sort of bring back the magic of Harry Potter. Yeah, I think it's. I think I agree with both of you. It's going to need some time. Uh, I think we'll, we got to see what we got with Fantastic Beasts uh, and see how that plays out. Uh, but I also think, you know, the, I don't think the Radcliffe, and it's my opinion, obviously. I don't, I've never spoken to either one of them, but I don't know if Radcliffe or Grint or Emma Watson necessarily are, are hankering to come back and uh, bring these characters back to life just yet. I think 
they came out and had statements about J.K. Rowling's statements. So certainly they were very strong statements about it. Um, Eddie was a Eddie Redmayne was a bit more forgiving, so to speak, but the other three were not. They're very clear about the effect of those comments from J.K. Rowling on the community and on the fandom. Uh, and so maybe they're not rushing back to put more money in J.K. Rowling's pockets. So I think they need a little more time away from this thing, too. And, yeah, maybe they want to mature a bit more, live a little more life, and that they'll bring that experience as actors into doing The Cursed Child down the road uh, for sure. But I think it's going to take a long time before they come back. Look, Harrison Ford, how many years before he came back or even wanted anything to do with Star Wars? Shatner as well. Shatner, I think, was about 15 years before they finally convinced him to do Star Trek, the movie after the series had been done, he didn't want to go to conventions or any of that stuff. So sometimes you get caught up and, and it's it's what makes your bones and makes your name. But sometimes you don't want to go back to it for quite some time. Even Stephen Amell on a lesser level, when they asked him on a recent Instagram feed like or Instagram live uh, uh, interview, whether he'd come back and do any one offs uh, for Arrow or CW. And he said, uh, no, I'm done with it. That, that that chapter is closed and I'm moving on. And so, you know, sometimes you just you establish yourself and it's like something. But maybe 10 years down the road or something like that, if they're still doing these CW shows. Then Stephen will have cooled. He'll have done other things. You look back on it more fondly and he'll come back. Same thing with, I think, all the all the actors involved uh, in the Harry Potter uh, universe originally will want to come back uh, with a little bit more time, you know um okay i think that's it for us i gotta get going uh, i got another thing at 215 so i apologize that i did uh, let the gentleman know that so uh we got to wrap up here the geek buddies uh we will keep your questions though i think we can maybe kind of throw this in every once in a while don't you yeah, think yeah well i think uh i think for the people that tweeted questions uh we'll yeah. take a look and if we didn't answer your question on the show we will still answer your question on twitter uh we will get yeah. back to you guys uh so keep a lookout for those and thank you for all the questions and yeah this was fun Absolutely. we should definitely keep doing it yeah, I like the uh, I like it as well. Uh, and I'll get a, a camera that doesn't go out in the middle of it. That'd be great too. Uh, all right. I well, mean, uh, I'm not mad at the geek duo. <laughs> oh, really? Mm, interesting. But, oh, but also, what a but also, but also, what a but, also but also, can we borrow your equipment because we don't have any? Uh, yeah. Spoken like a Bayside a white Bayside uh, All right. Well, thanks everybody for watching this episode of the Geek Buddies or listening to this episode of the Geek Buddies. We really appreciate you all taking the time to watch or to listen to us. Sorry about the vibration. It's uh, it's the camera or it's the uh, computer on top of this thing, so I'll I'll not be doing. But anyway, let's get out of here. Thank you all so much, uh, Shannon. What do we got to tell? Them? Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media on Twitter, it's at Geek underscore Buddies on Instagram at the underscore Geek underscore Buddies. If you'd like to feel, follow me on social media on Twitter. It's at Shannon underscore McClung on Instagram at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you'd like to follow Mr. Vogel, it's at MK2. And if you'd like to follow Mr. Roca, it's at the Roca Sess. Uh, and yes, please, uh, you know, we want to keep doing this. We want to keep doing Q&As. We want to keep talking to you guys, engaging with you guys. And to do that, we want you guys to engage with us. So definitely uh, like this post, subscribe to Johnny's page, leave us some comments below because we love checking those out, as we were saying. Um, hit us up on Twitter and uh, also like share this, uh, you know, post us on Twitter, post us on Facebook, send it to your friends. If you're listening to us on Anchor or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, uh, rate us, leave some comments there. The more comments we get, the higher we go in the rankings, the more buddies we get. And that is a winning uh, formula for the three of us. That's for sure. Or the Geek Duo, whatever you want to say. All right. Well, that's it. that's it for us here on the Geek Buddies. Thanks again. <laughs> uh, and we will talk to you next time with another brand new episode of the Geek Buddies here on the Outlaw Nation channel. And that's it for the... Oh, the Geek. Geek. <laughs> geek.
Ladies or duo! Oh my god! Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.